0: Today's reading is taken from the book of Jude, and you'll find that in the Bibles in front of you on page 1,234. I'll give you a moment to find the reading. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all of this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness." bound with everlasting chains for the judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. For even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for the slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed. In Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who only feed themselves. They are clouds without rain blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of their ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.
1: Thank you, Rusty. Morning, everyone. If you are new or visiting with us today, great to have you here. As Pete said earlier, I'd love to meet you at the end, perhaps over a cup of coffee or tea out in the courtyard. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the ministers here as well. And uh, we've got quite the passage on our hands together this morning. So let's pray for God's help as we get stuck in. Heavenly Father, great are you, Lord, and most worthy of praise. Your greatness none of us here can fathom. We pray, Lord, that we might give you praise right now as we hear and submit to your word together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a fairly well-known fact about me, I think, and if it wasn't before, it's going to be now. I love watching movies. I love watching movies. And I know most people go, yeah, no, I enjoy a good movie. Most people do, but as my wife will attest, I am not like most people on this one, I don't think. I, uh, I like listening to movie soundtracks. I like dissecting movie trailers, and I won't just watch the one, but I'll wait for the second and the third trailer about the same movie. Uh, I worked for years at a civic video. Remember, remember video rentals? Uh, I talk to my kids about it like it's a, an ancient relic, but um, it's a dream job. A dream job because I got to watch movies and get paid to do it. I've put that to Bruce, but he uh, he hasn't entertained that yet. Um, if I'm listening to a podcast, I like listening to podcasts. Chances are it'll be a podcast that is reviewing a movie. I've got about four or five that I I play in rotation. I would go to the movies every week if popcorn didn't cost a hundred bucks. And you might be wondering, I'm sure you're wondering, please don't come up and ask me what my favourite movie is, because there is no answer to that question. But one of the recent joys that I've had, as, as my eldest has grown up, grown a bit older, has been getting to introduce him to good movies. He's kind of graduated through the kids' films, the Disney and the Pixar, and we're now getting into the real stuff. We've got a list going, whenever we've got a spare night, we'll knock the next one off the list, it's been amazing. I love it. A couple months ago, I showed him Rocky. Now, not because it's my favorite movie, but because it's an absolute classic film. Right? This is the movie that introduced the world to Sly, Sylvester Stallone. And now I I know he's not everyone's cup of tea. And If I tell you, Belle absolutely hates boxing, so when I told her that I was opening today with a reference to Rocky, she rolled her eyes and groaned, which may be how you felt, as I just mentioned Rocky then. That's okay, because we all have different tastes. We all have different tastes. But I will say, Rocky did end up becoming the highest-grossing film in the US in 1976, and it was nominated for no less than 10 Academy Awards. Did you know that? And it won Best Picture. So there you go. Now, if you haven't seen the film, Rocky is like the classic underdog story, right? It's about a washed up boxer who gets his chance, gets this chance to take a one in a million shot against the champion of the world. And it's funny, because Rocky's technique is awful. Like, he's terrible. He has no idea how to block (laughs) or dodge. The amount of punishment he takes, he's not the strongest, he's not the fastest, but he is a contender, he's a contender, he's got heart. That's Rocky's thing, right? He gets back up, no matter how many times he gets knocked to the mat, he always gets back up because he never stops contending. And you know, that's exactly the attitude that Jude is calling for from those that follow Jesus. They need to be those that never stop contending. Now, we'll return to that idea in just a short moment. Before we do, let me just, by way of introduction, um, locate up where we are at the moment. It might be your first time with us. We've been in this little series, as Pete explained, through all of January, um, looking at some of the smallest and least familiar parts of the New Testament. It's a collection of little letters at the very end of the Bible, and today we're finishing off with the last one, Jude. Here are some of the vitals for this book. This is a letter that they date to around 50 or 60 AD, so just a couple of decades after Jesus has gone, uh, in the earliest days of the church. Uh, It's written by a guy named Jude. You can see that very first word of the letter, Jude. Uh, It's actually not his full name. Jude is a nickname. It's a shortening for either Judah or Judas. Judah or Judas, Um, and there's like eight or nine guys in the New Testament who go by that name, so it's a little tricky to know exactly which Jude is this, right? Well, we also find out, you'll see this in the opening verse, he's, he's, he's the brother of James, he tells us, the brother of James, so that gives us a hint. James became the first leader of the church in Jerusalem, James also happened to be a brother of Jesus. And so in Mark 6, I won't get you to go there now, but you can have a look in Mark 6, we actually get a list of the names of Jesus' brothers. One of them is James, and one of them is Judas. That's our Jude, the writer of this letter, a brother of Jesus. Now, unlike most of the letters in the New Testament, this one's a little bit different as well, in the fact that it's not written to a person, It's not written to a particular church, it's not even written to a whole group of churches in a region. This is written to everyone, and you can see that there, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Everyone who is called, loved and kept, that's who Jude is writing to. Now I don't know how familiar you might be with this book before this morning. One commentator I read this week suggested that the book of Jude is the most neglected book in the whole New Testament. So, if Jude is new for you, you're probably in good company. But there's two main reasons why I think we tend to steer clear of this book. Uh, Firstly, it is controversial. And secondly, it's confusing. Controversial and confusing. That'll do it that'll do it. So, why is it controversial? Well, when the, when the councils of the early church went through the lengthy process of confirming which books belonged in the Bible and which didn't, so we're talking like 300s, 400s AD, at the time there was some debate about whether Jude really belonged in the Bible at all. And it wasn't his theology, it wasn't his message, but Jude quotes from a book called One Enoch, there in verses 14 and 15. And One Enoch was a book that the councils had decided was not a part of biblical canon. It was written about 200 years before Jesus in a time that we refer to as the intertestamental period. It's a bit of a mouthful. And One Enoch's a part of a collection of books written around the same time that we refer to as the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. Now, these books... While being historically useful, they actually talk about really important stuff that's happening in Israel's history at that time, the councils, 300-400 AD, concluded that these books actually weren't divinely inspired, held in the same regard as the rest of the books. And so because Jude mentions this book, 1 Enoch, there are questions about him, kind of by association, in other words. Does that make sense? Now, I could say a whole lot more, and you can go and read a whole lot more on this if you're interested. Ultimately, Jude was accepted into the New Testament, the New Testament canon. That's why we have it in our Bibles today. And basically, that's because the Enoch reference that he includes, it's, it's, it's not essential to the message. Like, the book's not kind of built around it. You could actually take it out, and, and Jude's point wouldn't change, really, at all. Um, and one Enoch would have been very familiar to the original readers that he is actually writing to, which, which is, is precisely why he puts it in there, because they would have understood. And the fact that he does put it in there, I think actually helps to demonstrate that, that these writings, the Apocrypha, it actually can be useful, even if they're not divinely inspired, if that makes sense. I hope that wasn't too confusing, <laughs> because confusion is the second reason why I think Jude often gets overlooked. I'm sure you sensed it as we read through the passage today, particularly that middle bit, right? Like with all these bizarre images, rainless clouds, wandering stars, uh, references to angels getting chained up. Did you get that bit about an archangel who goes by Michael getting into arguments with Satan over the body of Moses? (laughs) And it's like, did I take the wrong meds this morning? (laughs) Was there a wrong turn somewhere? How did we end up here? You might have felt like that as we were reading it before, which is okay. And the good news is that Jude is actually making a fairly simple point. The entire purpose of this letter, you can pin it down to a single verse, verse 3. Take a look with me. What does he write? "'Dear friends,' he says, "'although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share,' here it is, "'I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Contend for the faith, you see that there? That's Jude's chief concern, that's why he's writing, that's what he wants us to get out of this. It's right there for us. And the word that he uses there, contend, it's an interesting word to choose. The Greek word that he uses carries with it a sense of intense effort, and struggling for something. It was a word that that was most commonly used in the context of athletes competing in things like the ancient Olympics, which, I might add, included a primitive form of boxing. And before Rocky, there was Diagoras of Rhodes. He won the boxing wreath at the 79th Olympiad. We're talking 464 BC today, which is just an interesting fact, the International Airport Inroads is named after this guy. That's how big a deal he was. And he was famous for never ducking, never dodging, never stopping, not even blocking the blows from his opponents. He just let it come until they tie it out. <laughs> He's like the OG Rocky, the original contender. And those who follow Jesus need to be like that Jude is saying, we need to be like that. Those who contend for the faith, who don't stop, who never give up the fight. So Jude kind of frames his letter around this call to contend. That's how he begins, verse 3, very important. And in the second section, he goes on to explain why. Why do they have to contend? And he closes the letter out explaining briefly how they are to do it. See, it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But as I said, where we we usually get unstuck as we're trying to read our way through this book is that that, that middle section, the why. Because it's here that that Jude unloads all these crazy images and references. So what I want us to do is just spend a little bit of time unpacking what's going on in this middle section so it doesn't, doesn't confuse us so much see what kind of sense we can make. In this middle section, it's kind of like Jude is jumping in the ring with these false teachers, right? He is contending against them. It's like in the red corner, weighing in at 300 pounds. That's not how he introduces them. Take a look at verse 4. This is how he introduces them. Certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. There are people in the church, Jude is saying, who are abusing God's grace, abusing God's forgiveness, and using it as an excuse, as a license for their sinful behavior. And this attitude is threatening to lead God's people astray. People who might be saying things like, you know what, don't fret about how you're living right now, it's not a big deal, God can just forgive it. That kind of seems to be the vibe. But it's funny, because in all of my time, I've never actually heard anyone say something like that. I don't know about you, I've never heard anyone actually say that. But gosh, I've certainly seen people living like that, right? taking disobedience of God lightly, as if it doesn't really matter. So, this is not so much false teaching that Jude is attacking, so much as it's false living that he is attacking. And Jesus' followers, Jude says, they have to contend against false living. They have to. And it's an easy thing, I reckon, to happen, because... So just to explain the situation when Jude's writing, the Greco-Roman world at that time, the kind of cultural climate, it was dominated by three key things. Grasping for more power and status. right? Everyone was trying to climb the ladder. Accumulating more wealth and prosperity. And pursuing pleasure, basically without any limits. That was the big three. Power, possessions, pleasure, Sounds a bit like another cultural climate I know of, doesn't it? That's the life that these figures were embracing, and they ended up being more shaped by their culture than by the gospel. And so Jude jumps into the ring with these figures, and he goes at them for three straight rounds. I'm not going to spend time on every single jab, every single uppercut, but you're going to get the picture. In the opening round verses 5 to 7, he hits them with three Old Testament groups, the golden calf crew in Exodus 32, the fallen angels from Genesis 6, and Sodom and Gomorrah from Genesis 19. It's it's interesting because all three of these groups that he mentions, they rejected God's authority either to pursue pleasure or possessions or power, precisely like Jude's opponent's. And the judgment that falls on each of these Old Testament groups, it's the same judgment, Jude said, that is awaiting these figures in the church. In the second round, Jude comes out swinging with with three Old Testament rebels. So he mentions Cain. Cain, of course, murdered his brother, Abel, for gain. He mentions Balaam, who led Israel into sexual sin, and he mentions Korah, who rebelled against Moses' authority. If you don't know who any of these people are, that's quite okay. you just got to understand that in each of these three rebels, they're caught up in the same dynamic, power, pleasure, possessions. It's the same pattern. Woe to these people, Jude writes, because they are following in the footsteps of these rebels, and so they will face the same devastating judgment of God. Third round, I think, is probably my favourite. Jude throws a series of rapid-fire jabs by giving us a list of, of, of metaphors, pictures. Shepherds who only feed themselves, clouds without rain, trees without fruit, chaotic waves. My favourite is wandering stars. You know, because if a star is wandering, it can't actually give any direction at all. One after the other after the other. Jude's theme is is like basically just screaming the same word at us, empty, emptiness, which is ironic, of course, because for all of their pleasures, all of their possessions, all of their power, these people are going after, the reality, Jude writes, is that these people are nothing, they have nothing, and they're going nowhere. That's his point. And you know, it's it's a truth that still rings true for us today, doesn't it? 2,000 years later, that just sounds like he's writing it to us, doesn't it? Because when we dedicate our lives to those three things, when we hang our life's meaning on them, our lives don't end up amounting to much, do they? And those paths, they truly are a dead end. So Jude's references might be dated and confusing, and I'm not really sure what he's referring to, but man, his message is just as relevant for us today as it's ever been. This is not just a warning to the Christians of Jude's day, it's a warning for all of us sitting in this room this morning, 2024. Because you see, in these last days, as we await for Jesus' return, we've got to be followers that, that contend, We've got to be up for the struggle and the fight, because you know what happens when we don't, or when we're not? You know, if we let our guard down, what ends up happening is that out there takes root in here. Out there takes root in here. Our lives, they start taking on the shape of our culture instead of the shape of God's gospel. We stop standing out because we really just start looking like everyone else. It's easy to do, as we we go after more power and influence at work, as we accumulate more possessions, as we pursue greater pleasures, no different to the world, apart from the fact that you, you come to church on Sunday, sometimes. It's not so much false teaching, it's false living right? And in the end, what good is believing the correct doctrine if we're not willing to fight to ensure that our lives are aligned with it? (laughs) Friends, the extent to which the world has taken root in here, in here, is the extent to which we have stopped contending. And that is a serious, serious thing. I mean, I I hope you sensed that as we read through Job, just how serious it is. I mean, he mentions judgment in one form or another at least seven times, seven different times through the book. And I think that's another reason why we, we don't like reading Jude, you know, as your daily Bible reading. It's not, it's not super fun and fluffy and uplifting. It's, it's heavy. And I guess I just want to say, that's actually part of Jude's point. He's hoping you'll be arrested by the seriousness of what he's talking about. Because rebellion against God is deadly serious, and that goes for the big dramatic acts that people might do, but it also goes for that slow kind of drift away from gospel living. Sometimes so slow, you're not even realizing that it's happening. I mean, my question is, is have we missed the fact that we're still in a fight? Like, that we're still in the ring? We talk about Jesus having won the war against Satan, sin, and death. Yay, victory, go, Jesus. That's 100% correct. And yet, that doesn't mean that our struggle's done. I like the way one writer put it. I read this week. He said this. He said, the promise of victory assumes bravery in battle. When God promises that his church will be kept from defeat, his purpose is not that we lay down our swords and go and have lunch, but that we pick up the sword of the Spirit and we look confidently to God for the strength to fight and win. Friends, the final outcome is secure. But until Christ returns, our fight goes on. Satan's still roaming, isn't he? He's still roaming. People are still rebelling. Absolutely. Sin is still ensnaring. I mean, we know that's true, isn't it? And God's judgment is still waiting. Jude makes that abundantly clear. The final bell hasn't sounded yet, in other words. It hasn't sounded yet. Do you realize that? God hasn't put us here to to live the safest and most comfortable lives we possibly can. He's put us here to contend for the faith which He's entrusted to all of us. We're here to hold out the hope of the gospel by actually living gospel shaped lives. And speaking gospel-shaped words. The first Rocky movie set a pattern for every sports movie ever since. The cheesy training montage. I'm led to believe the thing actually didn't, never existed prior to, to Rocky, and it's also usually paired with some cheesy 80s rock. right? You've got to love it, the training montage. But there's nothing fancy about the way that Rocky trains. His methods are not, you know... It's not rocket science. He jogs, he does some one-arm push-ups, shadow boxes, and then more jogging. That's about it. So, too, with the regime that Jude prescribes for us at the end of his letter. It's not rocket science, either. Verse 17, take a look. What does he say? We need to remember the apostles' teaching, he says. Remember. So, when Bell and I go and sit down to to work out our family budget for the year. You might have been having those fun conversations in your own homes. I need to remember Jesus' call to be generous when we have that conversation, don't I? And as I do, I'm actually contending. So too, when I'm out on the Corso in the middle of a stinking hot day in summer, I have to remember Jesus' call to purity. That is contending. I've got to remember moderation when I'm out celebrating a friend's 40th birthday. And as I do, I'm contending. Others here might just need to know God's word a little better. You're kind of thin on the ground. And it's really important that you're not because we won't contend for a faith that we don't know. And we won't contend for a faith if we've forgotten what it is we're actually contending for. What steps are you taking to ensure that you remember? I've just got one suggestion for you, something I've tried doing this week, that's proved helpful. When you're in one of those moments and you sense the, the pull of the world to do something contrary to God's Word, just speak that word to yourself, contend. See if that helps, contend, just say that word to yourself. And remind yourself that you're in a fight. It's not meant to be easy. In verse 20, Jude encourages them to build themselves up. And one of the simplest ways that we do that, of course, is by gathering together, which is what we're doing here this morning, which is what we've heard about um, from Leah and Jay with growth groups during the week. (sighs) Have you ever wondered why sometimes it's so hard to just come regularly to church to your growth group. It's because showing up is contending. Showing up is contending. We're actually engaging in spiritual battle just by being here together, by gathering. And so of course it's going to be hard sometimes. You know, if you're having one of those weeks and you get up in the morning and you're on the fence about whether to show up, contend. You know, say that word to yourself. Contend. Remember that the battle is still going. The third thing Jude tells us contending involves is praying in the spirit. God's not here just to do our bidding, right? Sometimes our prayer lives, they begin to reflect that kind of like shopping list of demands that we want from God. And, you know, we're encouraged to bring our requests before the Lord, absolutely. But have you ever tried beginning your time in prayer by actually asking God what He would like you to pray for today? It's worth trying if you've never done that before. Praying in the Spirit. This coming week, of course, is the perfect opportunity for us to flex our prayer muscles. You know, if, if you're not in good habits and routines with prayer, why not use this week to kind of get back on track? Join us, one of the sessions at lunch in the morning, come to Prayer and Praise Night. Uh, Take advantage of this week, right? We're sending you prayer points every day. If you can't make it into the prayer sessions, at least do something with those when they turn up in your inbox. I really like what Jude says in verses 22 and 23 as well. Be merciful, he says, to those who are doubting. Snatch others from the fire. I like it because Jude assumes that we might get knocked down sometimes. Sometimes. The people around us might get knocked down, they might grow weary from the fight, they might get lured away by the world, and I know even as I say that, there'll be people who pop into your minds. Don't give up on them, Jude say, don't give up on them, contend for them. I read a story this week of a guy who had grown up in a Christian family his whole life Gone to church every week, basically, and uh, at age 17, he got his girlfriend pregnant. And when he sat down to break the news to his parents, he didn't just have to tell them about the pregnancy; he also told them about the fact that that his entire Christian life up until that point had been a lie. He kind of just been playing along, living the double life. Tough conversation. Right, both for him and for his parents. He ended up going on to marry uh, his girlfriend. He moved away, he joined the army, and things then got worse. He described it this way. He said, I went from being this young guy from a Christian family to suddenly being a guy who was getting into fights in the pub every single week, who began to chase women a lot, even though I had a wife and children at home, and a guy who'd become critical of everyone else around me, who began to think of myself as higher than everyone else because I was in the army. I read that quote and I thought, man, that's exactly what Jude's warning us about in this passage, right? Being drawn away by the promise of power, possessions, pleasure. This guy ended up being deployed to East Timor for eight months. By the time he got back, his marriage was in tatters. Basically, his wife decided to leave him because of how poor the relationship was. She took the kids, moved overseas. So he drank more, he fought more, he slept around more. Until one day, he stumbled onto some videos that his twin sister had left on a computer that she'd given to him, and they were sermons. And she put them on the computer in the hope that one day he might watch them, and by God's grace, one day he did. Jesus died for bad people, he heard the preacher say. Bad people, not good people. He said, I'd probably heard that 85 million times in my life, but even though I'd heard it, this was the first time I'd actually started listening. That was the beginning of a journey of him coming to faith. Over the next few months, he connected with a, an army chaplain who ended up leading him to the Lord. The guy's name uh, is Dave Jensen. He is uh, his father is Peter Jensen. You might have heard of him. He was the, uh, the principal of Moore College, actually, when I was going through Bible College. Uh, and he ended up, ended up becoming the Archbishop of Sydney. So Dave grew up about as in the faith as you can get. And today, 12 years after coming to faith, he's now a minister here in Sydney. Uh, that article ran in the SMH last month, because as of this very week, Dave has taken over as the director of evangelism for our entire diocese. Isn't that incredible? He's reconciled with his wife and kids, um, although he's, he's gotten remarried and had some other kids as well. Um, and next month, actually, Dave is, is joining Night Church at our very first big day in, which is very exciting. I was chatting to him this week about his story, about what we might do on our big day in, and I realized, I'm putting this message together for today, I realized, wow, like, Jude's letter kind of echoes all the way through Dave's story, even down to the way God was using people like his sister with the computer, or his parents who were merciful with his doubt the whole time, never stopped praying for him. Dave's story is a reminder that even if we stumble and fall, even if those in our lives who we love, they stumble and fall, we can always get back up off the mat. Though there might be times in our lives when we stop contending for God, He never stops contending for us, right? That's the gospel truth, isn't it? He never stops contending for us. He contended for us when He sent His Son into the world to die and rise again, and He continues to contend for us even now. No matter how far you may be wandering from Him, God is still contending for you. And you know, though Jude is a fairly heavy book, I'm sure you might have felt that this morning, he opens his letter and he closes his letter with words of comforting assurance. So verse 1 we are those, he said, who are called, who are loved in God the Father, and who are kept for Jesus Christ. Aren't those three amazing words to describe us? Called, loved, kept. You are kept by God. Isn't that a thought? No matter how wide we might stray or how deep we might fall, you are kept. And it's a theme that Jude returns to at the end with the final two verses, if you've still got the passage open. This is really the only part of the book anyone's usually familiar with. It's called the doxology, which is kind of a fancy word for a phrase of praise. And this is how he starts. He says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, right, that's God, keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's what God does. Even as we contend for the faith, friends, we don't do it alone. And we don't do it under our own strength. God is always there too, contending right there alongside us. Because the victory is always His. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all of these little letters we've had a chance to read from over the course of this month. And we thank you for Jude, words we may have never heard before, or ever really reflected on before. Lord, you have brought them to bear for us together here in this place today. We thank you for that. We pray that you might continue to be at work through these words as we, we mull them over, as we work out what it means to contend for the faith, what parts of our lives need to be conformed back to match your word, your gospel, rather than our world. May you be revealing that to us, Lord. And for those of us here who, like Dave, are far away, pray, Lord, that they might hear your voice and come back and realize that you love them, you've died for them, and you long for them to come home. To you, the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. We're going to stand and sing now. And uh, this song is a reminder of exactly what we've just been thinking about. The battle we fight actually belongs to our God. Let's stand and sing.